Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. Telling the truth in Hollywood stories is a tricky thing. Living and working here, you're privy to this weird, amorphous bubble that everyone is always trying to get their hands around. It's full of rules and hierarchy, but you're free to make your own path. Really, no one knows anything. And there are certain truths that we all live by. It's all who you know, don't ever work with children or animals, and if you're trying to make it in Hollywood, take Fountain. The stress of wearing all the production hats is enough to sink many friendships, but for three friends, successful collaboration means putting ego aside which is a strange and rare trick in an ego-driven industry. Today, Francisco Froes and Tiago Felizardo talk with me about acting with seagulls, Portuguese soap operas, and their new comedy pilot, No Actor Parking. The fact that you've got Joaquin de Alameda, am I saying that, completely butchering it? Close enough. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I just, I've been a fan of his for so long, and when he popped up and I was like, what? How did they get him? Yeah. Um, I suppose it doesn't hurt that you are all from the same country. Can you just it's inter- a little bit, yes? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about like small detail. Yeah, like how did you? Because you guys are both had been working in Portugal before you came here, right? Or tell us, give us the background. So me and Francisco. Oh, I'm just going to start. Heidi, first of all, I just want to say before I start. Thank you so much for all your support uh, all these years, and, uh, and, and thank you for having us here today. Um, going back to how this all started, there's one person missing, that's uh, Tom. He's uh, one of the three creators. Uh, he, had to get, he got called in for work, so we may or may not tell him about all the bad things we say today about him. <laughs> uh, we'll decide later. Um, and me and Francisco, we go way back to a uh, TV show that we shot together in Portugal. And that was probably 15, 17 years ago. Wow. We were both teenagers. So uh-huh. you were like five years old. Probably, yes. Maybe seven. <laughs> uh, we, were, we were kids, so we've been friends uh, since. Uh, eventually, and I'm giving you the short story, otherwise we will never get uh, to where we need to go. We went to New York. We studied together at the Neighborhood Playhouse um, in New York, and that's where we met Tom. So before the restaurant scene, me, Tom, and Francisco, we met in New York City in 2010, 2011, if I'm not mistaken. So life just so happened to bring us uh, back together um, in Los Angeles and uh, and to WeHo Bistro. And that's eventually how this whole pilot thing uh, took shape. Awesome. Because, yeah, it's, it really, at the end of the day, it really is all who you know, right? It's all about the connections that you make along the way, even those ones that you sort of don't think are going to be anything. Like, you never know who you're going to turn out to be like, I know the perfect person for this job or the perfect person to ask about this. And, it's all about who you know. And uh, on that note, and uh, you were asking about Joaquin, and uh, I think Francisco's the more suited person to tell uh, this little bit about Joaquin because he, he was the one who was closest to him uh, at that point uh, when he jumped on board. Uh, uh, Joaquin's basically I, a trooper. I, when I moved out here to LA, I, uh, I had a mutual friend and so I contacted him. Joaquin is a super generous person, you know, 
and he, he, he I, I met him just uh, over lunch and then through the years he kept having lunch and we became very close friends. And uh, he watched the first three uh, episodes that we made, the little webisodes, mm -hmm. and he really liked the project and said, you know, if you guys are going to do more, you know, I, I'm, I'm in it. And, uh, and so he jumped on board as an investor and he also uh, acted in it, which was a huge, you know, uh, honor for us to have him on, on the, uh, on the cast. And he, oh. he even joked around like that's, this is the first role he ever had to pay to actually do. <laughs> <laughs> I always love telling this story because we're not used to Joaquin. Joaquin is, when, when he's on screen, he always has those strong characters, the bad guy, plays a bad he's guy. He's terrifying usually. Yeah. Isn't he? And it, it's not often that you see him doing comedy and so we we knew we we had a feeling how it would play out so when we initially wrote the script we had hopes for what it would look like on screen and i just remember the first time that we were running lines uh on the day that we shot uh the scene the first scene with joaquin i just had tears coming down my eyes because it was exactly what we had pictured he would do all the drama and all the bad guy persona that he has, he, he brought all of that in. And it was just exactly the image that we had pictured beforehand. It was just happening before our eyes and it was just magical. And it was a, a magical moment. I love see. that. Well, in that sense, it's kind of like extras, like Ricky Gervais, the Ricky Gervais show in that, like he plays an exaggerated imaginary version of himself. himself yeah. Exactly. Is that, is that his house? No, it's not. You got okay. I want to talk about locations in a minute because you've got some incredible locations. But just so we can start, give us the for the benefit of everyone listening, give us the pitch. What's the show? So we would like to say that it's uh, it's uh, Entourage meets The Office. If the guys from Entourage hadn't made it yet, so it's a uh, it's a comedy about the Hollywood industry. But we're trying to show the. I guess what 80% of this Hollywood industry is, is all these people that are trying to just, you know, get, you know, open the doors, knock down those doors and just show the all the comedy that's around that and all the struggles and the hardships and people just, you know, fighting for their dreams. And we want to show it lightheartedly. So it's, it's kind of an entourage, but a more realistic entourage about everyone else that's still not a, you know, A-lister yet, you know, basically that I'd say. Yeah, it's much more getting kicked down than getting doors opened in this town. Yeah, exactly. But knowing that eventually these guys will get there and, and knowing that they will have to work together as different as they are and that they, they are their own entourage. And uh, if they want to achieve any kind of success, they'll have to work together um, and eventually figure it out. Yeah. Uh, uh, the title is called No Actor Parking, which just made me laugh because I could, was just thinking about how many places I've pulled in and just seen that <laughs> sign up at various studios. And I'm like, oh, that's perfect. <laughs> and, 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 and I'm so glad you, you're talking about that because these are things that we take for granted that we know this is our reality because we live in Los Angeles and we know these little perks of having the No Actor Parking sign. But there's this whole unexplored storytelling uh, that's interesting for people all around the world. And people have this fascination about Hollywood and mm -hmm. stuff about Hollywood keeps getting made, you know, even as much as people may say that, you know, they're not interested in, you know, watching Hollywood stuff. But, you know, you see La La Land, you see even extras, you, you know, people are genuinely curious about the industry. And, and now with P 
people watching and the service, um, the streaming services that you have, you know, you're catering to a whole, um, to a global community and not just in the U.S. And this is to say that we live in a little bubble in Los Angeles and we know how all this works and we find it amusing, but there is a little bit of teaching uh, to mm -hmm. do that, you know, it's an opportunity to, to yeah. show people around the world how, you know, how this little industry uh, works. Well, I appreciate that. And, and the fact that it's like that actors do have to put up with such until you reach this level, you are just like <laughs> pooped upon. Yeah. Um, and and because with writers, it's really similar. You know, people are like, ah, we'll just get this written. Throw her ten dollars. She'll write it for you. And it's like, <laughs> do, do you not understand that without us and you don't have anything. And it's like the same thing without the actors. You don't have anything. And yet actors and writers are like the most abused, uh, taken for granted elements in this whole town, which is... Punching bags. <laughs> yeah. Because of the, you're pulling in so many great elements of the stuff that we all deal with all the time in, in this stupid industry, how do you decide what makes it into the show? Like, what, how do, what's your litmus test for this is a good gag, we should talk about this, we should talk about this truth, or... It's really just a lot of brainstorming. We get together, me, Tiago, and Tom. We have such a good time writing this. You know, we're just we're we're, we're like crying, laughing when we're writing this. And it, I think it has to do with just what inspiration comes at that moment. And then we'll jot things down, and we'll jot multiple things that don't make it. But then we'll try and see what's stronger, what's going to be stronger in the plot, and uh, we end up making a decision because it's like there's so many things to talk about, and it's also a show that has such funny characters that you can pretty much put them in any, any situation and make it kind of funny, you know, because they're, you know, they're extreme kind of characters with high personalities. And so it's, you know, it's what, what do we want to pick on now? Because we're going to, yeah. there's, like it's, it's, and it's an endless show, really. Yeah. Tell us about your character, because you play the kind of wide-eyed, new to Hollywood, like, everything is wonderful here, kind of. Naive movie. character. That, I mean, like, like we all arrive in Hollywood on, on our first, you know, on our first... Uh, couple of years here we're new to it and you know and it's just getting to know this industry that can be brutal and it's also about my characters a little bit about what we want to try and show is how I think it's the contrast to it towards Tiago who's been fighting and doing everything right but it doesn't happen for him and with my character you know without trying to spoil it or anything you know we, we kind of want to show how sometimes it's just luck you know you're not more talented you're not more this you're not more that you're just in the right place at the right time and things can kind of click for you and it's about showing how maybe that naiveness of Cooper and that heart of Cooper will maybe open more doors than a jaded actor that's kind of grungy about everything and doesn't believe in anything anymore. And so that's kind of what we're going to try and explore. <laughs> and Tiago, how do you feel about your character? Woo, where should I begin? Uh, so I play a heightened version of myself as well. So in the, in the show, I'm playing Tiago. Um, and it's just that funny um, opposition of, you know, Cooper is the bright-eyed kid, you know, who's brand new in town. And, and, and I've just been trying for so long that it's, it's nothing's relevant anymore. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's not that I've done anything wrong. I've actually, you know, my character has done everything right up until that point and things just haven't happened for him. So it's, you know, it's, and, and at that time when we started writing this, I had been, I had been in LA for, for a little while. So it was more than anything, it was a little personal, even though it's a comedy show. Uh, 
it's rooted in, in truth and, and it has heart to it. And that's why I think it's, you know, it sets it apart from other stuff that you may see about, you know, Hollywood and other comedies um, mm -hmm. alike. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask about the creative process, but you already touched on it. So like you all, the three of you write it collaboratively. Um, is somebody more, one of the three of you more of a writer background or sort of take the lead on it? Or is it very egalitarian? How does that work? I think Tom had more experience writing when we started off for sure. And he probably still does, but we all, we all collaborate in everything really. I mean, it's not just in the writing. We've been a great team together, writing, directing, producing, and we're, you know, we, you know, we're good friends and, uh, and it's, it's, it's a very collaborative process. And one of the things actually, when we, when we were shooting this pilot before we were shooting, we were getting the, the, um, the DP and our producer told the DP, that there was going to be three directors and the TP almost backed out on the project because he's like, I don't know if I can do this, you know, and, uh, and surely, you know, by the end of it, you know, he said uh, it went so smooth. It was incredible. And we, you know, we'll, when we're directing, we'll also like kind of take turns and we'll hear each other. We'll hear our opinions. And as of now, we've agreed on everything and things have gone very smoothly. Well, it is a testament to your friendship that, yeah. you know, it's because it's not easy to work with, friends and have it go that well that's it's about ego right. putting your egos aside and just being able to understand that you know this is a collaborative and that you know you don't always have the right answer and and there you go yeah well so and it's funny because we take turns in directing because we're all part of it we're all in it right so there's always someone who's in it so there's actually two other people looking from the outside you know directing and making the calls and the decisions even though we all talk beforehand and we plan ahead but uh, it's funny because there's always one of us in it and then the other two or two, two of us can one, be in yeah. it and one uh, out. So it's, 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 it's an interesting process. And I'm, like you said, I'm not sure it would work with, um, um, for everyone and with other people. Yeah. But, uh, is, it, it has for is it weird taking acting direction from each other? It's great because we all went to the same acting school. So we all oh. speak the same language. <laughs> we so all nice. know exactly what we're talking about. We all know how to trigger each other's. And then it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's great. And we all, we all wrote the scene together. So we all kind of know what we want from it. So it's like, if anyone's not delivering what we think needs to be delivered in that scene, it's easy to give them. Talking notes. about this out loud, this could be really messy. And it's, and, and it's, <laughs> and I think that it's not, and it's, that it's worked so well uh, until now. Now is when you're just like, well, whenever Tom opens his mouth, we're like, that idiot. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think, I think we have the same kind of sense of humor in a way. You know, we have the same kind of sense of humor writing. Yeah. And we find the same things funny. And so it kind of, that helps for sure. Well, I can, I mean, I can see that just from knowing you guys, like you have a very similar sense of humor and vibe. And I'm pretty sure that I've at least one time called you by each other's name. So, um, you know, <laughs> there you go. sure it happens. Coming from Portugal, do you see, like, obviously Tom's just an American American, but like coming from Portugal, do you guys, does it give you a different perspective on the culture here and the culture of Hollywood? Like, what do you bring in from Europe? Well, First of all, I would just like to say that we're both American now. So we're <laughs> Portuguese yes. American. So, so um, <laughs> and no, but um, it, it, it's a different, it's a cultural thing as well. And it's a different view 
of the world, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but I think it all works to our benefit when we get together and, uh, and we work on something collaborative uh, like this. I think if you use it to your advantage and, and it's like we come from a different place, from a different country, but the American cultural culture is present and it's such an influence on, you know, every country nowadays that you grow up just so familiar with it. Um, And then we moved to the U.S. Francisco had lived in the U.S. when he was uh, younger with his family as well. Uh, So we we bring a little bit of a background and uh, and some baggage from a different place. But I think uh, in the end, it all works to our advantage to have a little bit of a different background and a cultural different uh, cultural standpoint in here. I would agree. It's just I think anytime you have an expanded worldview like that, where you're coming in with multiple cultures and multiple points of view it just it helps it makes you a better observer i think so too but i also think like america is is a it, it well at least a city like los angeles it's a city of the world really under an american like mindset of, of production and, and work ethic right yeah. but we get so many influences from all over the world anyways right and it's and so i think i think obviously we're maybe unconsciously bringing that in absolutely you know we have a different personality inevitably and, yeah. and we're working inside a, a an American work ethic that I love, you know, about, you know, product productivity and putting in hard work and people are, you know, they accept you for who you are, no matter where you're from. And uh, it's a very healthy work environment, you know. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles, at least, you know, I mean, that's my experience. I love it here. I, I agree. Although there's part of me that when I look at production from my my friends are doing in, uh, in Rome and Chinachita and stuff like that, and they're like, you know, we've got the three-hour lunch breaks, and then and oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, God, I wish we could <laughs> just to have that relaxed production schedule. What's that like? But, you know, in Portugal, shooting, we were shooting, when we were shooting, like, these shows that are, that are soap operas, where it, basically you put out an episode a day, you're yeah. shooting, like, 22 scenes a day. That's and you nonstop from 8 or 9 in the morning until until seven or eight in, 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 in the afternoon every yeah. day, five times a week, one hour lunch, you know? So you were used to that then. Cause oh, yeah. that like, oh, yeah. I've worked with soap actors here and it's, I've always found them to be just thoroughbreds. They are so like, show up, get the lines, do it again, do it differently. Yeah. Like they're just amazing yeah. to work with because they've just had that. Yeah. It's great training. It's great training. I would say it's not very rewarding in terms of what you get out of it. Uh, after a while, because it's all, it's such a demanding process. Um, yeah. and, but it's, 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 it's great training and it's, it, it gives you exactly what you need to endure. Uh, I would say in this industry. Yeah. Well, so now let's talk about some of the challenges and, and stuff in the logistics of actually shooting your pilot. Um, there were some really interesting things. First of all, the locations you got were incredible. Um, um, the house, the studio lot, it looked like you guys were shooting on a back lot, and then PCH. <laughs> like, how the heck did you shoot on PCH? I'm, I'm mean, so glad. I'm so glad you just said that looked like a studio lot. Oh, where was it? Where was <laughs> I'm it? About to break the magic for you. <laughs> it's a good story. It's a good story. That studio lot. Um, we we actually, I mean, we we knew exactly what we were looking for and what we wanted it to look like. Uh, so you know, we were doing all the location scouts um, as well, and you know, it never goes according to to plan. You know, you imagine something, but then you just have to get it as close as possible to you, what, what you 
yeah, you have to settle, but you know, we, we try not to settle for um, the first thing that, you know, presented to us. So then, and then the specific case of the studio lot, I think we drove close to Pomona. Was it Francisco? I'm not we were going to see a different location for, for the, for the desert part. Uh, of and we drove by a, an RV dealership <laughs> with that place, an RV dealership that, and that the, the gates that you see that that's for the shop where they fix all the, the, the RV. So we mm -hmm. just laid it all to look like, you know, a studio. Uh -huh. studio RVs look like actors, RVs. Yeah. Genius. That that was that was a uh, that was a lot of fun and and was actually affordable to do exactly so, because obviously yeah. all the studios that we that we inquired are like were like just astronomical prices to shoot yeah. there, and so we got and, to sit in this place. Hi, Dan. This was you know, as you can imagine, a no budget production. You know, we we had a you know we had Kickstarter. We had a little bit more money um, from from private investors, but you know, for all the Hollywood standards and for the way of doing things, you know, this was a no budget production so you know we, we had to oh, get yeah. creative uh, and 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 same with a house that was uh uh francisco's former agent's house so oh, nice to, to pull that one yeah. pull that one off uh that i figured there was some favors involved there yeah oh yeah, we, yeah but we, we, we paid her some we're not proud of but, but uh but yeah and then the pch surprisingly the pch isn't as complicated as you, as you think uh to shoot there um, we, we, we basically had a permit and we had a permit to shoot it since it was Super. a somewhat smaller crew. The permit was not as expensive. You, I under, yeah. you didn't have to have so much, but we had, you know, we had the whole, you know, the, you know, the bathroom and the parking place or like everything was nice and structured how, how it had to be. We had the cops there uh, with us uh, during the whole time. What we did get as a treat from the cop was we went up to them and we said, you know, it'd be really amazing is if we could just film a pullover scene. And you could just like stop the traffic so you could just film the pullover scene. And the cop got into it and he's like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> oh, perfect. Because I was like, how he much did that cop car cost you? <laughs> he literally stopped the traffic for us. And we like, we couldn't believe what was happening. Like, oh my God, oh my it's God. from heaven right now. From heaven. You know, it was cool. It was super cool. Hi, but this, now talking about the cop car, this is the great thing about Los Angeles is you can find literally anything. <laughs> you can find anything that you want you'll make it work and uh this was a guy that's just the cop car that we used uh was a this guy just owned a, a former cop car and you know when people rented it out he just put the lights on yeah. and the stickers it was like a hundred bucks or something it wasn't it wasn't that expensive it was for the cop car at all so even any other place on earth you know it'd be so expensive to um do something like that and something that looks so great on screen you know it was actually something that was kind of affordable yeah. to do how did you get the seagull <laughs> there's a sequence wherein there is a live seagull that is definitely not a stuffed fake seagull and it is not harmed in any way but i was like how the heck how, how did you get the seagull so i don't know if you know but tom he works a lot with birds when he was younger <laughs> and he's a bird catcher i'm just kidding <laughs> we rented that that, that, that was actually a big part of our budget no not really it was a seagull rental expensive Get a hair wrangler. <laughs> the casting was really tough. Picking the best seagull that was really, really, really <laughs> tough. Um, we we hired an animal wrangler. That 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 talking amongst ourselves, it's something so funny because we didn't. I think at the time we all agreed on 
having the seal, but it was such, it was so much work just to yeah. make that happen, the logistics of it. And we're shooting on the PCH and, you know, with cops. And on top of that, we decided to throw a seagull in and a guy would come in and take care of the seagull. So it was uh, the logistics of it weren't, um, weren't that easy. But uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an advocate for the seagull. And to this day, I'm, I'm really happy and proud that we got that seagull, even was, though uh, other I people so may impressed. not agree with it. No, I was so impressed because it's one of those things that when you're writing, you write everything you want. And then you go back and you're revising your draft when you're starting exactly. like a production and you're like, what, yeah. where can we cut costs? And the seagull would have been that the first, like, up there that's going to save Hi. budget. That was definitely on the list. We almost cut it. Yeah, we, we almost cut it. it. We almost cut it, was, it. it was, we kept it just, I, I can't remember exactly why, but it, we, we, so many times that we were going back and forth and it was definitely the main thing that we discussed about cutting was the seagull without that but it is so great and it's just like this little throwaway thing no pun intended but it's not um it's not like a major plot point like it's like the the story would have survived without it and the fact that you kept it in i just completely i love it talk to me about the musical sequence Music, we again, we've been we we go online. There's these great little websites. What are what are what are the websites? I don't even know Tiago, but there's but there's all these little great little websites, and we you know it's just been our taste. We did it. We did the whole thing. We just. Uh, but you had to have, like have a choreographer. You had to have dancers. You had like. Oh, I'm sorry. You're talking about the musical sequence. The I musical sequence. No, no, like because that's oh. like, there's it's sort of a dream sequence, and there's yeah. coordinated dancing, aka yeah. choreography. Yeah. And it's just so like. It comes out of left field, but it's so it fits it really well. It's really funny. And I just was like, that's a whole nother, yeah. you know, level yeah, of budget. Yeah, we rehearsals. I think it was two days of rehearsals with, uh, with Poncho, who plays Peter. And we got he a was, great, great was, choreographer. He was such a sport about it. Just to give you a little bit of background, because I think it's so interesting about Poncho as well. Poncho was a former pro skateboarder back in the 90s. Uh, he yeah. was on the cover of uh, skate, Big Brother, Big Big Brother, the major uh, skating uh, publication in the, in the US in the 90s. And he was a pro skateboarder. Um, and eventually he had a problem uh, in his back and he had to stop skateboarding. So he diverted his um, attention and you know his time to acting. And so at the same time, we had the challenge of we had to be careful for his back, you know, because he had this injury, but he was such a sport and he was having so much fun. We rehearsed Killed for two it. days. The choreographer was fantastic. And, you know, we were reproducing the scene from uh, 100 Days of uh, Summer, is it? Is it? Five, five hundred Days of Summer. Five yeah. hundred yeah. days of the exact same scene, yeah. Uh, so we wanted to look like... Yeah, to look like that scene. And the, the feeling that we wanted to emanate and evoke was uh, the same as in that movie. Uh, and, and I think I, I agree with you. you know, I'm, I, I think it looks, it looks great. <laughs> well, and it makes you just fall in love with his character too, you know, because yeah. he's sort of, he gets the brunt of a lot of Tom's character's yeah. jokes or, or, or misjokes or whatever, yeah. um, anger. And so it was nice to see nice to see him have his little joy moment and you're like oh, that guy <laughs> and initially when we first one the first few cuts of the episode the episode was a little longer it ran about 43 or 44 minutes uh and it had a little bit more to his character and he had a little bit of a revenge moment at the end that would show him sort of coming back and getting back at um 
at uh, Tom's character. But, uh, you know, for the standards of, you know, having a 30 minute episode and yeah. that was another tough decision that we that we made. But uh, for the best of what we were trying to do, we, we decided to, to keep it at 30 minutes. So yeah. and I still have, you know, mixed feelings. And I, I, I wish we could have shown that part of them uh, that we hopefully we will show in the next. The thing the is, we will. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I think I don't think you needed it actually as an outsider coming into the story. I think the story works without okay. it. And it and it can be a nice thing in episode two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, I feel like his character isn't the kind of guy who gets revenge. You know, that's in, in the negative sense. He get, yeah. He's a, he's better than that. Yeah. But he yeah. can do it in a funny way for sure. Because because yeah, Sam, Tom's character, right, deserved he deserves he deserves a little comeuppance. <laughs> um, one of the things I did want to talk about, which I thought was handled really well, was um, Sam's Sam's client is a beautiful girl who doesn't want to do a nude scene and sprung on her. Um, and he, her agent, playing her agent, is there, sent there to talk her into doing it. And she still chooses to not do it. And he, so he fails, he fails to talk her into it. I didn't want him to talk her into it. Like, I was like, oh, please don't agree to it. Please don't agree to it. And when she stood firm, I was so glad that you chose to go that way and that he kind of had to respect her choice. What made you decide to do that that way? We just decided to dig the biggest hole we could and then we decided let's try and figure out how we can get out of this and how is Sam going to fix this and and because we were I was talking to Francisco the other day and at the time it wasn't the obvious choice for her you know we shot this a while ago it wasn't such an obvious choice for her to say no I'm not gonna undress myself for the sake of someone else's movie you know but nowadays it's so part of the whole me too and and it's so nowadays it's almost the obvious choice. It's almost like, of course you're gonna say you're not gonna want to to do this, and that's the right decision, and and you shouldn't, you know. But at the time we were trying to look at this and see, okay, so how, how can this work out? You know that this is not gonna be a comfortable situation for anyone, not for Sam, not for Mia, um, and how is Sam gonna get out of this? Um, and, and and we opted for the strongest. I, I think it was also. Choice. Let me just say, I think it was also, we really wanted to present all of these really good arguments from Sam, just saying how all of her dreams are going to come true. You're going to go to Cannes. You know, you do this. I know you don't want to do this, but if you do this, you're going to be, you're going to be acting with Ryan Gosling, you know, like you're going to get all these things you want. You just have to do this one thing. And for her to make that heartfelt decision of saying, I'm not willing to give away my integrity over my dream is it is it is the touching you know it's a touching decision and then when we, when we were directing her i told her you know you you're, you're kind of doing this for all the women that maybe didn't have the same courage as you to say no and so yeah. you're representing those people and, and and that really brought a lot of emotion out of her when she did that scene that's kind of what we yeah. wanted to to show to have the courage to do that because in part what sam is saying that she might get all those things if she does do that can actually come true as well yeah you know, yeah. and so it's such a hard decision to make that. And so for us, it was about also just giving her this empowering decision. And, and our goal now is to show her still get that, but with integrity, which is going to give her, you know, it's going to make her a lot happier in the end. That made me really happy because I feel like in Entourage, they would have done the opposite. Yeah. They would have, yeah. she would have gotten naked because that's what the boys wanted. 
and you know and it would have just been she would have been a throwaway um, right. but, but at the same time who's to judge you know what's the right path what's the you, you just got to be okay with what you're doing and what you know what your decision is and and this is also what we were trying to achieve you know is to for her to stand up to what she believes in and then to have the support of the person who represents her you know and to have the two of them sort of work as a team and figure this yeah. out together as opposed to her having this you know opinion and wanting to stick up for herself and then the other guy saying okay i'm gonna drop your whatever so it's nice at that moment and it's unexpected from sam as well to see the yeah. two of them sort of come together and uh, yeah i uh, feel like you really see her grapple with that tough decision but then you really see him genuinely accept it like you know he could have been a douche at that point too but like he genuinely is like like you can but see, he he felt it. Was, it's it like was, he wanted he her to do it, but he felt uncomfortable pushing her to do it. And then it was like, when she said no, I was like, okay, okay. You know, which was, which I thought was a really nice, there's a lot of layers to that. Yeah. It's one of my favorite moments in the, in the yeah, episode. Yeah. For sure. Me too, for sure. I applaud you for that. As Sarah said, just said in the, in the chat, she's so glad you did the scene that way too. Where can people see this? Where, where, tell us what the link is so everyone knows where they can see it. It's actually at the moment a, a private link that we are not yet allowed to share. Um, this was shared with our backers, <laughs> people that back Kickstarter. It's still a private link because we are in the process of finding distribution. And so for exclusivity purposes, we need to keep it private for now. Sarah has a good question. What was the hardest and or most satisfying scene that you did? As, uh, as what, directing in terms of directing or acting? Good question. <laughs> Writing. <laughs> For me, the most uh, satisfying, like I was saying, is the is uh, Mia's scene and and seeing her grapple with you know that's always a moment from everyone that we've shown the episode to. That's always a moment that I look forward to and and to seeing people's reaction when watching it because everyone either applauds or you know people are smiling, people just cheer. Uh, so that's probably my favorite moment, um, my most satisfying scene. The moment uh, okay, where she, uh, she makes that decision not to uh, get naked. I would agree. And you know, I'd say between that and probably Joaquin's monologue and the whole thing with Joaquin was, was also very rewarding to shoot. I'm sure for him too. He got to be in the hot tub with beautiful ladies. <laughs> he was having a ball. He was having a ball. He has fun with us. Oh my God. And Sarah just says, I loved Entourage, but there were many scenes that I wish it ended with a bit more empathy and heart. Which is that, I guess that's kind of what I was saying, that I, the Mia scene made me so happy because you actually treated the f woman's point of view with empathy. And, and, so and I think just, that's one thing that we really want to distinguish ourselves from Entourage as well, is yeah, that, although this is a comedy, we really want to bring that layer into this show. Yeah. Because, Entourage, because the people that are here fighting for it deserve it, you know? And, yeah. and, and there's, it's like, it's, you know, it takes a lot for you to come out here and really fight for your dreams and set aside other things and set aside stability in your life. And, you know, often actors are regarded as narcissists and this and that, but like, it takes a lot of courage to be out here and exposing yourself and fighting for something that 98% of the people aren't like totally successful at, you know, and that they're yeah. not living off of just that. And they're, they're hustling with other jobs. And, and there's, there's something about that. There's something, there's, there's a courage about that. And there's, and there's a lot of heartbreak about that too. And it should be showed. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. And that's, you know, I remember watching Entourage at the time and, and just loving it because all my friends loved it. And it was like this first kind of insidery thing that we had here. 
And it wasn't until the later seasons and as I started to grow that I started to be like, ooh, they really aren't, they don't treat the women that well on the show, do they? Like they're kind of just, that's not you guys. Yeah, I mean, look, and, and they're probably just reflecting reality and that's what's sad about it. That's, yeah. that's what needs to change, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, yeah. yeah, I remember specifically there was the, the scene with when E was dating that girl, Ashley, and she was like just trying to get him to actually commit to, you know, show up when you say you're going to show up. And then he, she was portrayed as the crazy, the crazy bitch. And like the, and, was, and I'm sitting there going, wait a minute, what about that is crazy? Like that's, and then that's when I really was like, oh, this show is not considering the female point of view at all. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, well, I'm to mention one thing and I, I haven't, I've only seen a couple clips, but I'm really super excited to watch this show and, and promote it to friends and whatnot. But, um, like, because I just moved from the Midwest, just moved from Cincinnati, and I'm also a survivor of spousal abuse and stuff, I can spot this crap, honestly, a mile away now. But um, there's also these little cultural things that, like, I think really fascinate people about L.A. and the hustle and the scene here. Do you have anyone in the cast who's like, well, you've got the new arrival, but, like, are they dealing with, like, the cultural differences just in Los Angeles, that element of it, as well as the differences in the industry versus, say, working at Procter & Gamble in the Midwest or something like that? So I, I think that was more present in the, um, in the first few episodes that we shot. Cooper, Francisco's character, he was a guy who had moved out from, uh, from the Midwest, and he worked at uh, Pepco, uh, I think. Uh, that was his first job, and it, and he just landed straight out of Petco to Hollywood, <laughs> you know. So that was a little bit of a harsh uh, change of uh, scenario for him. Better benefits at just FYI, Petco has better benefits right off the bat. <laughs> I'm sure it does. I, I don't doubt it. Um, uh, and and so so we, Cooper Francisco's character represents a little bit of that. Uh, a little bit sure, of that. Yeah impact and a little bit of naiveness as well to, mm -hmm. to, to everything. Not just naiveness, but the cultural shock and the, all the hopes and because you have such a bright view of how things should and could work. And to a certain degree, it's sort of inspiring. And I love, you, you know, it's, it's, it's so easy to fall out of inspiration, you know, on your day-to-day mm -hmm. -day life when you go about, you know, creating things. And it's, but at the same time, it's always so refreshing that you run into someone, you know, who's so positive and who's come from a different place and, you know, who's all bright eyed about the future. And, and Cooper sort of represents that. And then that's mm -hmm. the, magic, yeah. the magic about him. And also that's going to be a lot, a lot of his conflicts are going to come um, from that, from that uh, cultural shock as well. Mm -hmm. I know that Judd Apatow at some point, he had a, show with uh about hollywood i think with kevin hart they started shooting something and you know they had some scenes and you know and the show never got made and there's you know in hollywood there's a hundred million people writing shows about how hollywood and about actors and about the daily life in in, in hollywood but I, I still like to think that you know we're a little different for for everything that we've mentioned up until this point in the conversation i'm, I'm curious to see where this is going to land us and, and what's, what's coming, what's coming because with everything that's happened in the world up until this point, from the moment that we finished shooting, it's also going to affect and impact our writing and everything that we're going to do from here on as well uh, with the future of the show. So I'm, I'm really excited about that, that, uh, that aspect as well. So I was going to ask what's next. So you are in talks or trying to pitch it or 
we, Sarah, other Sarah asked um, if you could just do like a one minute elevator pitch. Like, it, I think the really, really good way to put it is Entourage meets the office. If, yeah. uh, if the guys from Entourage weren't successful yet, it's a spoof about the Hollywood industry. I mean, we, we, if I had to add something to that, I would say that it, it follows, to give you a little bit of a background, it follows a dysfunctional boutique talent agency in one of the last glamorous uh, parts of Hollywood. Uh, and it's wide and a typical range of characters, you know, and it's, it's, it's in a short pitch, it's Hollywood, it's Entourage meets The Office. Yeah. If they yeah, but I like that, that um, the plot, the plot-based part of the pitch, because I think that always gives, you know, you have the comps and then you have like the, the, who the hero is, what they're trying to do, and what the obstacle is. And so I, that's, I think, a good boutique Hollywood agency. And do you have an HR pro in the series? I used to work at Paramount, and uh, dealing with HR was a thing. It was very interesting when some distasteful things went down, watching how it was all handled with HR in the mix. And yeah. that it's just, it, they can be hilarious. In, in this context, they can be hilariously complicating. For, for everything that Sam might have to handle at the agency itself. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> that'd be it's, pretty funny. Yeah, that'd be pretty funny. Something we should definitely consider. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, at this point in time, you know, sh they should make him have an HR, you know, at the firm and some performance review. Because they have to do compliance stuff, or they have to do. Um, to, uh, sensitivity training or whatever that's always like ridiculous and yeah they should absolutely have to go some through some sort of seminar or some sort of uh training or teaching absolutely a little bit out of left field but we were watching my husband does a lot of these for his day job a lot of the trainings on like you know personalities and helping teams work together within organizations and we were watching an episode of norsemen i don't know if anyone watches that but it's basically vikings meets the office it's <laughs> hilarious and there was an episode we were like someone has just definitely done a management training seminar in their office because this whole episode is about vikings dealing with like management training stuff uh, do is there any other anecdotes you want to share about like ridiculous stuff that happened on set or challenges in actually shooting it like besides the seagull which i still am just the um, seagull was probably biggest the biggest the biggest challenge they say right don't work with kids or animals or animals yeah now now we know now we know uh yeah the seagull was super tame it wasn't like a huge i mean no it was really cute and like you're holding it and it's like i'm like if that okay yeah. i'm sitting there spinning i'm like how do they do this because i'm like if it were a wild seagull it would be pecking the crap out of you and trying yeah. to escape and i'm like the seagulls just chill yeah. <laughs> what's happening yeah and it was at, at a certain point it just didn't make it into the cut so but it was it was it was it was a, it was a nice seagull. Um, I, like I mean, seagull. one of the biggest challenges. I, I, it's not an anecdote, or but but I, we, the location, the moving around was a little. I remember was a little a little tough because yeah. we had pulled in so many favors, and you know that we had a lot of uh, moving uh, around to do with the company. Um, so that was yeah, probably one of the biggest hurdles I would say that we that we that we encountered, and a lot of. Permit because we we were wearing so many hats in the in the production and that's something that I, I will at some point you know would love to not do in the future of the of the show uh, for the benefit of the creativity and, and you know and, and yeah. of the show um, but it was it was a little a little stressing just to 
we were stressed out about doing all these things that we had to do in, the, in production and you know, oh, yeah. signing yeah. checks and, you know, and moving vans mm -hmm. and, you know, telling people what to do. So we learned a lot uh, and it was very humble and, um, but it's something that I definitely want, would, lo would love to do differently. If yeah. Once uh, again. Well, and the beach stuff is interesting, or the PCH, because I've shot at a couple different beaches and there is that interesting threshold is as long as the crew is underneath a certain number, you get a, one level of permit and, and cost. And, and then over that, it's another level of cost. And these are all things that when you're writing the page, you don't necessarily think about. But when you go into actually pre-production and how are we going to execute this? It's like, well, if we have two fewer crew members, we qualify for this level of permit. And how do we pull it off without those guys? And Or do we go for it and get cops and do the whole things you guys did that's I've, I've had permits but i've never had i've never been at the level where i had to have cops so that's and we actually got we had an inspector show up at uh at that uh on the at the bch that was the only time that an inspector showed up and i don't think anyone called him but he was just driving up the bch and he saw that and he just uh pulled up and you know we had everything and we had all the paperwork and but imagine you know if we didn't and we got shut down yeah. and there's 30 something people 30 plus it's, people, you know. We'd still have had a heart attack, just. Yeah. And we didn't, imagine, we did not plan for reshoots. We didn't have a day for, we didn't get a second chance at this. You know, we, wow. we had five or six days and this is all we had and we had to make it work. And that's, that's, did uh, you, that's what we did. Did you ever get shut down anywhere you were shooting or anything? We encountered some problems. We never got shut down uh, in the office because you know how when you talk to people and you explain, people have certain expectations about how many people are going to come in and you always try mm -hmm. not to hide the truth, but to sort of, you know, not put so much emphasis on, you know, how much gear and yeah. how many people are going to come in through those doors. And because we were pulling in a lot of favors and we had some private locations that we were using, uh, and I remember at the office we encountered, and that's one of the things when I was saying of wearing so many hats, and even though we had two uh, producers, a location uh, manager and, and people there, and at, at the end of the day, we had to deal with it. And uh, someone wanted the office manager at some point wanted to shut it, shut it down and you know, you just have to sit there be quiet and say yes to everything and, and mm -hmm. hope that you can finish your day and, and get out of there. Yeah. That can be so nerve wracking. I, we, we, I got shut down on a production this last year and then it was the most terrifying thing I've ever, because they were the people we had been told that everything was cleared and everything was signed and they knew everything. And, and it was great by our locations manager. And then we got there and the people who lived there had not been told and were really unhappy with what was happening. And we, it, you know, we did all the, Oh, come have lunch with us. And you know, like, how can we make it up to you? And like, they wanted blood and we were literally running out of there with all of our gear and like, but yeah, that's, it's, that's it's terrible. But that's usually what happens, you know, when they're mad, it's, it's like, it's, it's either you're going to fix it sort of easily or, you know, if they're out for blood you're not, there's not much you can do. And, and yeah, you know, and just get out with your crafty. Wow. Sarah asked, what would be the one thing you would bring back from the original script? If you had no budget limits, like what was cut? that we should have seen or that we could have seen if there was no budget. That was that helicopter chase off the Hollywood sign, right? I have more lavish um, locations. I, ideally, we would have done it in a, in a studio lot 
we sort of adapted and we made it work, but, you know, we, we would have shown it differently had we yeah. really had this movie a lot, you know, and, and we tried to make it look like one, you know, but it's, you it's fooled still... me. <laughs> I thought it was one. I was like, uh, what studio got, did you guys have an in at? More and as far as, um, you know, the car scenes, I, I think we would have invested a little differently in how we mounted some of the gear. We would have, paid you know more attention to certain details i think more the more technical stuff uh we would have focused more on the technical aspect of it and then and, and gear uh rather than uh things that got cut out of the script because mm. like francisco said when we wrote it we were you know, we had a budget in mind we were the ones doing the line budget and, and all that so maybe we we would have kept the crocodile maybe <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right, you guys. Uh, this has been super fun. I wish you all the best. Please come back when you've got distribution and you can tell us about it. That would be super Absolutely. fun. Thank I you for having me. So, you for this, uh, for this interview. You're so generous, and you've been, like I said, so supportive of us uh, throughout these years that we've uh, known each other. Yeah. So uh, thank you, thank you for that. And guys, good luck. Be on the lookout, everybody, for no actor parking. And we'll hopefully see you on the big and small screens. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Heidi. Thank Bye. You. Thank you. Bye. Heidi. Next time on Hearthside Salons, Zaki Rubenstein is a director in television. Her creativity, knack for story, and no-nonsense approach has kept her in steady employment on serious shows for years. Since the pandemic shut down production, she's turned back to writing and is flexing her comedy chops to look at the absurdity of life, love, and family. We'll talk about how she got here and what inspires her now. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.